This is Tim Tapp, and you're listening to K-Star and the Vera Network. Command codes verified. USA is in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and we are indeed live across the internet, across the airwaves, and everywhere worldwide, thanks in no small part to radio stations like WCETFM in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, online platforms like The Last Frequency and The Vera Network, which also has reach on TuneIn. Uh, the great app. If you love radio, I, you should have that app. Oh, yeah. And relatively new to the party, but with a huge reach of their own, the K-Star Talk Radio Network, which also has a presence on TalkStream Live and Right Talk and Irish Radio. And uh, funny that we should mention Irish Radio, because today does happen to be March 17th, that's 2023, it is St. Patrick's Day, so... By law, we are required here uh, to be wearing green and have some 
green beer to drink as we go transitioning past dinner into the weekend. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I gotta tell you, it's just, it continues to be nuts. Lots and lots of things that we could talk about. It's hard to pick a single single topic at a time. I want to go like a million miles a minute, but I have to take a deep breath. And before we get into anything, I do want to remind you that we are still promoting right now for Patriots.com, trying to get to a point where they have at least made their money back from the sponsorship here. So what I'm going to ask you to do, dear, dear listener, is to go to 4patriots.com. That's the number four, patriots.com. Uh, look around, see what you can find there. And if you come across anything at all that you decide that you want to get, then by all means, please use the code TAP. That's T-A-P-P. You'll get yourself 10% off if that's a first-time order for you over there. And uh, they'll know that I sent you. And there will be a link in today's show description that will take you specifically to a page designed to funnel you in to go see the Patriot Power Generator. Now, the awesome thing about the Patriot Power Generator is that it is a solar generator that does not use gas, so it doesn't have fumes, so you don't have to worry about the deadly threat of carbon monoxide poisoning. It's not loud, pretty quiet, quiet as a laptop. It's lightweight. You can pick it up. You can take it with you wherever you go. And if you will follow that uh, website, uh, you'll follow the link in the show description, I should say. They're offering a special deal. And what's really cool is they are also offering specialty payment options if you feel like you can't afford to make that purchase. But they got all kinds of free gifts and a, and a big bundle going on over there right now. So uh, follow that link. Go see what else they've got going on. Uh, and I'm going to continue to ask you to do that. And if we can get far enough along, uh, they may renew their sponsorship to the show. And I would greatly appreciate that as well. Because after all, for all the fun that we have, uh, it's also kind of nice to get paid for it. Okay, I'm going to have a guest join us, well, hopefully, uh, at the 15-minute uh, mark into the show. But before our good friend joins us, did want to talk about some things that happened today. In particular, the fact that the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin, along with uh, another Russian official by the name of Maria uh, Lavabelova. Evidently, uh, these people are now officially being charged as war criminals because of something that's been going on between Russia and Ukraine. You know, just in case you were uh, under a rock somewhere for the past little bit. Now, the claim here is that Vladimir is not only on a major quest to find the moose and squirrel, but that he is allegedly responsible for the war crime of unlawful deportation of population specifically children in this case, and that of unlawful transfer of population, again of children, from occupied areas of Ukraine to the Russian Federation. The court said that there are reasonable grounds to believe that Mr. Putin bears individual criminal responsibility for the aforementioned crimes. 
for having committed the acts directly, jointly, with others and or through others. Also, for his failure to exercise control properly over civilian and military subordinates who commit the acts or allowed for their commission and who are under his effective authority and control pursuant to supervisor responsibilities, a.k.a. the buck stops here philosophy. Hey, you're the guy in charge, so whether you ordered it or not, you didn't stop it, so it's still your fault. Now, while the charges have been filed, it's not very likely that a trial at the Hughes is going to happen, especially since Russia is not a member of the ICC in the first place, and that the court doesn't actually doesn't proceed with trials if the defendant is not present. In order for the trial to take place, Russia would either have to hand over Putin, which is not very likely to happen, or officials would have to wait for Putin to leave Russia and hope that they can nab him somewhere else, which also not very likely. But here's where my line of thought uh, goes with this particular incident, and I say incident for a very good reason. I, I tend to think that with China now being deeply involved with trying to negotiate a ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine, which of course has been completely just cast aside. Uh, we're going to ignore it. We, we, we don't like the idea. Washington doesn't want anything to do with it. And their European uh, counterparts also, they haven't come right out and dismissed it, but they all seem to be mirroring the same kind of discussion point, and that is uh, the statement generally that, uh, oh, while we certainly welcome other international voices to try to act as mediators and to resolve the situation, oh, we certainly wouldn't want China to take a position that would be favorable to Russia. So they, of course, have to dismiss this out of hand. But yeah, obviously we don't want Russia to have an upper hand, but do you really think if you don't make a concession, you're going to be able to negotiate? But forget all that. How likely is a world leader that has actively pursued military engagement how likely are they to come to the table and negotiate uh, on an international stage with people that want to arrest him and put him in jail? This to me, it, and maybe I'm just being cynical at this point, maybe my tinfoil hat's wrapped around my head just a little too tight, not getting the brain flow that I should, uh, the blood flow to the brain, I should say. But it feels like another tactic to me to prolong this. And again, we have, when I say we, I mean our government here, has every, every reason to want to continue this conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Not that the government itself has any merit or value to it, but the people who currently are running it, well, that's another story. For a very long time now, Certain politicians, Joe Biden uh, among them, but certainly not the only one, 
has used the Ukraine as kind of a piggy bank. They use it as a laundromat for cash. There's a lot of reasons why they want this conflict to begin, to lengthen, to be a, a, an ongoing, long, quagmire type of engagement. Because the longer they have that established, the more money they can pump into the Ukraine. Which then, of course, means the more money they can pump into their own accounts. And this is a point in time when there are actual serious looks into the Biden business dealings that makes it pretty clear that they've been taking a lot of cash from China, too. And let's not even get started on the, the Silicon Valley bank bailout because Janet Yellen came out the other day and admitted that uh, a lot – of the depositors that were involved there. Forget just the tech bros that we heard about. Forget all the really rich people that we knew about. Forget about Gavin Newsom and his winery. But there was a big chunk of depositors that have direct ties to the CCP. And as soon as I've discovered that, I'm thinking to myself, is, is it maybe, possibly, the fact that these folks really wanted to go beyond the FDIC level of insurance for these depositors? Is that it? Did they want to do that only because then they could use the excuse that we were doing it for everybody when people start asking why they made things right for the CCP? And, I mean, I can't say with certainty, but I'm just that cynical now. I just don't get it. All right, we're going to try to – evidently we're having some difficulty connecting with our first scheduled guest, so Doug's actually going to I'm put sorry, that on here. but the person you called has a voicemail box that has not been set up yet. So Goodbye. obviously we are currently unable to get a hold of Todd McNutt. And Todd was supposed to join us uh, today to talk about his new website called Representing – me and i really wanted to talk to him uh, because of all the very interesting things that uh, not only is he trying to do here but his background as a whole and how he came about doing this so we may make an effort to try to reschedule him i don't know uh it this definitely seems like the kind of thing because it's it's the website itself is just launching but the whole idea here is they're going to allow pages to be built by currently setting office holders and then candidates will have an opportunity uh, to also post this and, it, and it's all about putting their platforms out for your consumption and some of the interesting aspects of this particular site is that once they post something they can't take it down there is no delete so they're not going to be able to uh, pull what we affectionately in the political world refer to as a Lindsey Graham. <laughs> they're not going to be able to sit here and uh, tell you uh, I, while I'm campaigning, I'm the most conservative uh, thing that's happened since uh, sliced uh, bread came along, which, by the way, is very conservative, although it was very liberal upon its inception. And, you know, just world Earth-changing, earth-shattering. I, I don't, 
I don't understand. Now, I did get a chance to, to listen to an interview he did earlier today, which is also part of why I was really excited to get to talk to him, even though we had a very limited hit scheduled. Um, like I said, we will try to get him back on later. Uh, <laughs> and Doug is shooting me messages right now, telling me that he tried several times to get a hold of him. Um, but as they say in baseball, uh, at this point, you're out of here. So that's it for tonight. We'll move on. If for some reason, though, you would like to, uh, to hear something he has to say, let me send you in the direction of Anubelis, the radio chickadee over on the Southern Sense talk radio. Uh, had a, actually a very, very good extended conversation over there with them. So anyway... We do still have another guest scheduled to join us here in, uh, well, right after the mid-hour break. And this gentleman, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting the signal from Doug right now. He is now currently in the act of praying uh, for some uh, technical assistance here. Make sure that we can get through. And, you know, it's Friday, guys, and it's been a long week for a lot of folks, so... If things don't exactly work out, then we will see what we can do. But, you know, worst case scenario, we'll just spend the night together and it'll just be us. And I'll dig into some of these other stories and give me a chance to catch up on a story or two I didn't get to. But anyway, we are scheduled to be joined here after the break by Mr. Gordon Knight. And uh, Gordon Knight has a heck of a story, too. Uh, he wrote a book called Deep Six. Uh, the, well, Deep Six Diaries. And it's an interesting story there. And I initially was going to have him come on to talk about this situation with the Stanford Law bit. But the more I looked at this book and the story that it's told, the more I think we're probably going to spend most of our time talking about that. Anyway, uh, I suppose once again, I'm counting my chickens before they have hatched. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm hopeful. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to drop... More than more than one guest tonight. This is the message I'm sending out to the universe. But uh, with that being said, I do want to remind everybody the the website for Todd McNutt is representingme.com. Representingme.com. So just check that out. And like I said, we'll try to reschedule him and get him back on in just a little bit. And, and I've got some good news, green light from Doug. So we'll be able to move forward with that. But before we take that mid-hour break, which we're still a good few minutes away, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the whole notion that the left is currently just engaging in fairy tales that they can no longer maintain. And if you're wondering where I'm pulling that out, because they're like, Tim, you didn't actually say that in, in any real fashion. But I kind of did. Because we were talking about the International Criminal Court. This notion that somehow everybody involved with the Ukraine-Russian uh, conflict is all good actors. And everybody only wants what's best for Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. Well, that's a fairy tale. Like I already pointed out, we know that several politicians have been, especially during the days that Ukraine was 
visibly recognized as being the most corrupt nation in the world because of its government. They were using Ukraine to launder cash and as a gigantic piggy bank. And we know, we know that some of our wonderful, very good, never-would-do-a-bad-thing politicians were among the people that did this. But right now we know that they cannot maintain all of these, all of these little fantasies and fairy tales that they put forward, like the fact that the southern border is secure. Uh, is it? Well, the uh, chief of the Border Patrol, uh, in giving testimony this week, made it very clear when the definition of operational control of the border was placed – answer this question, yes or no, based on this definition, which was a fair, legitimate, and I think pretty much a legal definition of operational control of our border. Is our border secure? No. That's simple, plain, plain answer. But we still have uh, Mayorkas and every other member of the Biden administration wanting to lie to your face, hoping that you will believe it, whether they think that you're just too dumb to know any better or whether or not they just know that you're willing to, to go along with the fantasy because, hey, who doesn't like a nice fairy tale? The monetary policy that's been pursued, you literally have a situation where inflation has been created uh, to record levels uh, and how much we affect it, are feeling the effects of it because of where we are at coming out of the artificial shutdown from COVID. The fact that they use the excuse with the artificially low unemployment numbers to claim that, well, we're not under a classically defined recession because we've never had unemployment this low during a recession. Well, you've never had such artificially created numbers. It wasn't until somewhere around the earliest days of the Obama administration that they had rearranged how they count unemployment to no longer include people who had left the workforce, not because they were forced out, but because they were simply no longer looking. They had been unemployed for so long, they'd just given up. So we're not going to count them anymore, even if they're still getting unemployment benefits, even if they're still on the rolls. We're just not going to count them anymore. Well, here we are. Although the banking industry is fine. It's awesome. It's wonderful. But is it? And I'm sorry, Janet Yellen is not the person to put out there unless you're somebody that wants to believe in leftist fairy tales. She's more than happy to tell them. She's a big fan of modern monetary theory. Money's not even a real thing. It's an abstract concept, you know, like gender. So we can just go out here and pretend like there's no real-world consequences. Everything will be fine. Meanwhile, more banks are now in trouble. Now, granted, I do think we should legitimately ask the question on occasion, what is a reasonable amount of liquidity for a bank to have, especially when you're talking about a small to, to medium-sized bank? If you have a mid-sized bank, how liquid should that bank be? i got to tell you right now, most banks, because of how they manage to be profitable, how they manage to pay you interest on your savings accounts or your certificates of deposit, obviously they're not going to have 100% liquidity. 
So if 80% of the depositors show up demanding their cash at any given moment, is that reasonable to expect that they should just be able to dole out that money? Now, you can ask that question. I think we should discuss that question because that's really where the panic comes in on these runs on the bank. Oh, no, they don't have the liquidity, and other people are already running. I better go get mine before they shut down. It, it's this crazy, secular thing, and it's all because we put way too much power in the centralized banks. And then the government itself, uh, the FDIC, gets in the way of the larger banks even bidding on the uh, Silicon Valley Bank until after it was too late to make a deal. So it was too late for anybody to get in there for the private sector rescue, requiring the federal government to get involved. Now, again, that cynical tinfoil hat wearing Tim Tap comes out of me, and I'm thinking, was that on purpose? Was that designed so that the government could go in, step in, and make sure that things worked out just the way they wanted to, and maybe in the process, <laughs> Doug says, I get one cent for every 1,000 in my savings. <laughs> yeah, I, I granted, the rates haven't been great for a long time, but that also comes with the free money, uh, the, the easy money. It's not free uh, for us by any means, but the easy money and that easy money policy that uh, the Fed's been pushing for so long. Made a whole 39 cents last year. You're not the only one that struggled with it, Doug. But at the end of the day, the big depositors, whether they happen to be uh, tech bros or Gavin Newsom and his winery or people with direct connections to the CCP, they have to be protected. And why would you want a public uh, – why would you want a, a private sector – salvation there when they may not treat the ccc uh, the ccp folks equally you know i just i don't know just that little bit of cynicism that keeps that keeps rising up in in the back of my head and and i get angry about it because i think we should be angry not because the system is doing anything that it hasn't already done but because they will still get on television, they'll get on radio, they'll come on to, to any platform that will put a microphone or a camera in front of them, and they will lie to your face and expect you to believe it. And if you dare to challenge them, then you're the problem. And it doesn't matter what we're talking about. If it's the border, if it's the current financial crisis, it's inflation, it's whatever it may be. When monetary policy, the basic fundamentals of good monetary policy has not changed in 500-plus years. There's been nothing new about it. It's mostly common sense. You can teach it to a fifth grader, and unfortunately, people who are too smart for their own good want to try to convince you that there's a better way when they themselves know better. Let's go ahead and take that mid-hour break uh, get it out of the way a little bit, uh, a little bit earlier than usual, but not by much. And when we get back, we will be joined by my next guest, Mr. Gordon Knight. Don't go anywhere. Hey, y'all. This is Derek Johnson. You can find me at DerekJohnsonCountry.com. And you're listening to Tim Tap and Tapping Through the Truth. She's hair pulled back in a camo cap with a catfish on the line. 
She's an evening gown, night on the town, candlelight and wine. She's shy, she's bold, she's like a nice cold fireball whiskey shot. She's a big high five on the 50-yard line. She's a real cool kind of hot. With her long hair's blowing out, I roll down window. My old truck shines like a brand new limo. I'm the guy with a big old smile and all the silky shots. She's like an August day when you're bailing hay and that lemonade hits the spot. She's fun and free, lets me be me. She's a real cool kind of hot. Yeah, real Frederick Douglass, George Washington Carver, and my own dad would be furious about current approaches to race relations in America. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, Frederick Douglass became arguably the greatest orator of the 19th century, a champion for freedom, and a U.S. ambassador. George Washington Carver became a world-renowned inventor. My own dearly departed dad was a valiant military hero, hard-working family man, and the world's greatest dad. All three men had a few positive traits in common. One, they did not allow their goals or actions to be dictated by those seeking to either oppress them physically or otherwise. Two, they never saw themselves as victims. They viewed obstacles, whatever they were, as situations, things, or certain people to simply overcome. Frederick Douglass, George Washington Carver, and my own dad all utilized their God-given talents, brains, and honest effort to vastly improve their chances of success in this life. Despite certain problems they all faced, they never hated the United States, but rather sought to encourage America to remember that all men are created equal with certain unalienable rights, which come from God. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Second Skull is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact-reducing products. At Second Skull, we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it. Second Skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete. These products are patented and proven. Second Skull is a protective headgear company. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. This is Gordon Knight with Deep Seek Diaries. You're listening to Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with us through that very brief break. I am proud and honored to welcome to the show a first-time guest. Uh, he is a man who really has an interesting story to tell. Uh, he did so in a great book called Deep Six Diaries. And I, I'm not even going to, to go into that story because I want him to have an opportunity. What I'm <laughs> going to actually tell you, though, is that I initially had reached out because I wanted to get somebody who understands what having their freedom of speech being squashed uh, from a personal level could come on and comment about what we saw going on at Stanford Law School last week. And, of course, we've already talked about that story, but love getting that firsthand uh, response. But the more I, I looked into this book, I don't know how much time we're going to have for that because, Gordon Knight, sir, thank you so much for joining us. I really want to delve into the story behind this because it, I, I know we, we used to have regular uh, visitation from a, a great host in Canada by the name of Kel Fritzi, and unfortunately she has passed away. But we would keep very well in tune, and we would talk at least once a week about some of the crazy stuff that goes on in Canada. But I think your story probably demonstrates this far better than anything I've been able to talk about because we get so accustomed here in the United States about our liberties to express ourselves, that freedom of speech, and we know it's under assault. We know it's under attack, but then we look to some place like Canada that we typically think, well, you know, there are neighbors to the north. They're relatively free, and we have no idea how much it's being infringed upon there and, of course, across the pond as well. So let me step back. Let me stop talking, and before I do that, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us tonight. How are you today, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. It's a great pleasure to be here. And, you know, I think you're right in your assessment that, you know, we often think of Canada as sort of a North American version of Norway. You know, nice people, kind of, you know, not really a harm to society. We rarely think of them as authoritarians or opposed to freedom of speech. But, you know, I actually fled the country of Canada about two years ago. I've had to apply for political asylum in the United States. Uh, I am worried about extradition. Uh, there's a whole bunch of issues here compounding, and one of the biggest ones is matters of suppression of speech. The book you mentioned, uh, Tim, A Deep Six Diaries, when it was released last fall, it's a, a book about government corruption on both sides of the border, Canada-U.S. border. Canada, the government of Canada is actually involved on the ground in the United States. Um, not be allowed to be here, but they are in a pretty big way. And it's the sort of information that the Canadian government doesn't want out. And so they responded uh, by trying to suppress that publication and actually banning the book. And the way they did that, Tim, was they, they contacted the various banks and financial institutions in the United States and told them that I was money laundering, if you please. I've, for the record, for the benefit of your listeners, I've done nothing remotely like that. But the fact is, making the allegation means that I'm shut out from all credit card transactions that I could not sell that book. It's a way of banning a book without actually banning it, almost like shadow banning with a physical book. Then they would reach into my corporate bank account, also in the U.S., and they lifted $50,000 out as a penalty for all that money laundering I was apparently doing that prevented me from being able to sue them for this false charge. In that context, I could sell no books. So I posted it on Amazon, thinking I could sell it there. The Canadian government responded to that by telling Amazon that the book that I wrote that has my name on the cover is actually a counterfeit book. Now, Tim, how on earth do you counterfeit your own stuff 
bit of a mystery. But that was the allegation. And because it comes from official government source, it was taken seriously. And the book was pulled off of the Amazon system so that nobody could access it. Well, I'm, I'm happy to report that as of this week, but three months after the banning, as of this week, it is back. Deep Six Diaries is now available on Amazon. I don't know for how long it'll be available there, but it is available now. This is the reality of government's respect for free speech in Canada and the United States. And one last jag before I finish my little rant here. It's interesting to note that the governments of Canada and the U.S. work together in these things. All that I just described to you happened after I fled the country. It happened to me inside the United States. We're not immune. It's not a Canadian problem. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, And it really does have to do with uh, some very simple facts. Currently, there is a huge level of leftist ideology that permeates uh, the highest offices in the governments, both uh, in Canada and here in the United States. And the thing about leftism, uh, is they, they paint this really pretty picture about, oh, we, we're building a utopian future and it's we're all for the little guy and, and all these wonderful, wonderful things. But at the end of the day, they're all tyrants and mm-hmm. they want tyranny and they covet tyranny it's not even something they can help it's almost a subconscious compulsion and every time they see an opportunity to grab a little more power they're going to take it and therefore they cannot allow anyone to challenge them and i remember a time and i hate saying this because i'm starting to feel like i'm getting just too old uh, which clearly i'm not but but I start feeling that way. But I remember a time when even the the folks here in the U.S. that had a D at the end of their name would stand up in the name of liberty. And I remember when people that called themselves liberals were the ones that were actually defending free speech. And it was the conservatives that were trying to say, well, you know, we we like uh, freedom of expression, but we should protect certain groups from some of it. And in those arguments, somehow or another, it's all been lost, and there are no actual liberals left in the leftist parties, and not too many of them left uh, on the other side. But this all started – you were writing the book, Deep Six Diaries, because of some other silly things that were transpiring. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the background that that led you to writing the book and, and what was behind that. Sure. Well, look, Tim, it started very innocently, really. My family was a publisher of electrical guidebooks in Canada, and we've been doing that for about five decades. Half a century's worth gave us a pretty good position in the market. Uh, We just sold books to people that wanted to wire their basement or their kitchen safely and in compliance with the law, and that seemed pretty straightforward to us. The government, however, decided it would be a terrific idea if they were to publish their own guidebook in competition with us. Now, if if we just set aside just for a moment whether the government ought to be doing that sort of thing, the fact is, Tim, they weren't very good at it. Uh, Their books weren't very clearly written. They weren't. Their customer service was appalling. And instead of upping their game, they decided the best thing they could do would be to use the power of government to suppress their opponents so they could wipe me out, and that would give the government publication a monopoly. So they approached me with what amounts to a protection Racket. They said, you know, nice little company you've got. They'd be ashamed if anything were to happen to it. Why don't you pay us money in the form of a royalty and we'll leave you alone? So the question is, what was the royalty for? And the answer was 
they declared that the law itself, so electrical law in this case, is privately owned by the civil servants who drafted it. So almost all legislation is drafted by civil servants, right? Which means almost all law then is the private property of the civil servants so that they could demand a royalty payment for my accessing the law or my giving instructions on the law. And I thought that was absurd. Law, in its nature, law must be in the public domain, right? We've heard that line, that ignorance of the law is no excuse. The reason why it's no excuse is because people are deemed to have ready and open access to the law. So I fought them on it. I went to court. I tried to defend myself. They were hitting me with uh, copyright breach claims, saying that I had referred to the rule of law without their permission. And I thought I had a slam dunk case because, frankly, the law is public domain, as I said. But, you know, Tim, what I hadn't counted on is that the court system in Canada is, um, and in the United States to a degree, is still controlled by the civil service. All behind the judges, there's this army of civil servants that actually do the doing of court, right? They schedule the cases. They assign the judges. I mean, if you're wondering why all these cases that are so important to conservatives somehow always end up in front of Obama judges, that's why. In my case, they decided to assign as the judge between myself and my opponent, the civil service, an employee of the same civil service agency that was the plaintiff. So the plaintiff was also the judge, the jury, the jailer, the whole thing all wrapped into one. And the court in that context decided to rule that indeed, yes, law is privately owned. That's how we got the private law rulings in Canada that are now, you know, starting to become quite a problem in the United States. Well, we appealed that to the Federal Court of Appeal and lost. And then we went to the Supreme Court and lost. And this started to escalate. Now, all this happened before I started writing that book. But what really got me going, the last sort of straw on it, was when the Canadian government started tilting the legal field in their, even more in their favor. Uh, they started holding secret hearings on certain of their litigations against me so that I was not allowed to defend myself. I was not allowed to file defenses. In fact, one of them even went so far as to declare I could not speak a syllable, could not utter anything in a courtroom against them. So you slant the whole thing. You know, the British have a lovely expression for this. They say railway trains are impartial, too. But if you lay down the lines for them, that's the way they go. That's what trial rigging looks like in practice, structuring it to ensure only one possible result. And in that context, they also decided it would be a good time to try to put Gordon Knight, me, in prison for daring to defy them. And when that happened, I decided to both flee the country and I've got to get a book out there to get sunshine on this, to get people aware that this is happening to little guys like me. Because frankly, public awareness is the only way to start a correction on this kind of corruption in the federal government. Yeah, it, it's, it's astounding to think that this is happening in a supposedly free country. But then... That's where we kind of circle back around to that original topic that I was thinking you would be a great person to comment on, and that's the story of a judge, an appellate judge, a federal judge, going to speak at what is typically deemed by U.S. News and World Report as the second best law school in the country, and because he actually believes in rulings based on the Constitution and the law as it's written, as it's applicable when it doesn't come in conflict with the Constitution. He is given the riot act from the dean of diversity uh, and uh, equity and inclusion and then allowed to uh, have this little storming out session at the end of all that. 
And so far, all he's really gotten is an apology. This is this is how this actually happens here in the United States. This is going to make it that much easier because if you legitimately have law students that are led to believe that their feelings matter more than the law, that facts are not at issue, that liberty is not at issue, but the fact that you have a popular thing that must be protected, then they're going to allow the same type of uh, destruction of people's lives here for people who dare to speak out or stand up. So it is an example of the same effort going on here, but it's already happening here to a degree. We, we've seen this as well, but when I read what the book was about and how things led you to this point, uh, it, it went from trying to get someone who would have a solid opinion uh, to come visit us and talk about it to actually getting to talk to somebody who is literally uh, the the poster child of what a political asylum seeker uh, should look like, as opposed to I'm just trying to sneak across our southern border. Well, absolutely. And, you know, you look at what happened at that hearing. I mean, I, I saw the clips of it like you did, like your listeners did. But the fact is that this notion of having one approved opinion and anything that deviates from that is heretical, this really is indicative not so much as a political view as a religious view. So that if you hold a doctrine which is at odds with the official religion of those who run the place, that is the basis for all manner of persecution to correct you. You know, Tim, there was a, um, a few months ago during the, maybe the trucker protest in Canada, got a lot of um, airtime down here. The Canadian Prime Minister took the microphone to talk about that and explain his actions. And one of the reporters asked why it was that he was targeting these people for saying things he disagreed with. And his answer was very revealing and surprisingly blunt. He said, they hold, they, the truckers, they hold unacceptable views. I just let that one sink in for a second. We now have opinions which are acceptable and sanctioned and opinions which are banned. So if you say what they agree with, you're all right. And if you say anything other, you're in trouble. This is authoritarian, authoritarianism at its core. Once you legitimize the notion of one official opinion, whether it's at Stanford or anywhere else, all of a sudden you've got all the mechanisms will follow to enforce the officially approved position. Anybody else essentially is a second-class citizen or worse. It's a very dangerous, very difficult, very dark place to be. Yeah. Uh, without going too far into anything, especially if it's still things that you really shouldn't be talking about, um, meaning that uh, divulge as much as you feel comfortable divulging, how are things currently looking on uh, your ability to stay here and this ongoing effort from the Canadian government to extradite you? Well, I, I can say a fair bit, actually, and the, the, but I'll, I'll nutshell it for you. We're very uh, vulnerable right now uh, because the political asylum program uh, hasn't come through yet. And the southern border actually works in my advantage in that it is so absolutely, you know, they're being overrun down there, which means all of the political asylum processes are dragging on interminably. And that actually works out well. So it looks like I'll have about five years' worth of processing. It buys me time, Tim, to get some kind of public scrutiny on this and to hopefully in time, maybe even with a change of government in D.C., we can get some more security for me. Uh, in the interim, while I'm waiting on that, there are a series of litigations that the Canadian government has started in the United States. And just for reference, the, the government agency that's 
that's doing all this to me is an outfit called CSA Group. It's notorious in the United States for positioning itself as though it were a private company offering testing and certification services, but it's been uh, caught out repeatedly in various frauds and counterfeiting of certain immigration, pardon me, not immigration, importation documents for products coming over from Asia. So we've got the Canadian government on site in the United States employing hundreds and hundreds of people from coast to coast involved in certification of U.S. products and all of that outside of the law. So these litigations they started from against me in the U.S. are actually from the U.S., not from Canada. So I have to defend these while I'm defending those in Canada at the same time. So I got my work cut out for me, but I'm pleased to report I don't think I have anything imminent in terms of extradition. But, you know, when you're in a position like this, then it can change on a dime. So we'll do our best here. Well, I'm certainly uh, hoping for the best for you, because if there's anybody that deserves asylum, it certainly sounds like you are. And uh, for a while now, like I said, we we had a very regular uh, relationship with uh, several folks and had a very strong listenership in Canada for a long time. And, And with every passing year that that was going on, uh, the way the stories uh, evolved, it just felt like we were watching the collapse of liberty uh, of all kinds in Canada. And understandably, we, we have to be concerned about that because it's not something that's going to be uh, isolated. We, we've been watching it throughout Europe. We, we didn't see it in Canada. And we're feeling it here, too. And what happens the minute that we have no place left to go to when when freedom <laughs> is stamped out what what is left for us to do it's it's scary it, it really is and so i certainly hope for the best for you definitely going to try to make sure that every person that i know knows your story and we'll try to put as much pressure uh on elected officials and everybody else who might be able to help as we can because it is absolutely asinine that you're in this position uh, you mentioned that the book is now back available on Amazon. Don't know how long that'll be. Uh, Amazon's not one of my favorite folks to begin with as far as companies are concerned. Is there another way that we can order the book uh, maybe that would be preferable for the folks that don't want to do business with Amazon? You know, right now, Amazon's the only vehicle for us, and not by choice, uh, Tim. But we're working on getting our book onto Lindell's uh, My Store. That hasn't happened yet. And if we can get our credit card um, transactions back again, we can offer it on the website that I've got. If people are looking for information in the interim and they don't want to shop on Amazon, deep6diaries.com is the place to go. Deep6diaries.com. And they can sign up for um, an advisory list so that when it is available directly, we can make sure they become aware of it immediately. That's the interim. All right. Well, I will make a point of getting in the show description a link to the Amazon uh, page for it. And uh, anybody who needs to pick up a copy, and I say needs instead of wants because we need to have this copy, but anybody that's willing to go do it, uh, go get a copy of this book. And uh, worst case scenario, at least some of this money will end up going back to Gordon, uh, and, and that will help in his fight. To, it's a fight for freedom, boys and girls. Uh, it's just that simple. It is a fight for liberty and freedom, uh, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and not just here, but also hopefully at some point to start taking back those concepts uh, back in Canada, too, because that's it is frightening when we see what's going on. Uh, any final thoughts you'd like to share, uh, Gordon, before we uh, say our goodbyes? Yes, in that just the biggest one here, you've touched on a hint of a couple of times, Tim, that 
the number one thing people can do, apart from buying a book, because yes, that does help me, is to contact their local representatives. You know, in my experience the last few years in dealing with this in the U.S., I venture that almost no uh, members of Congress or even state reps are aware that foreign countries are actually deciding which products are allowed to be sold on U.S. shelves. They're just not aware of it. The fact that the U.S. is currently outsourcing all of their importations to a foreign country really ought to be on the agendas, ought to be on the radars of the people that are purportedly running things in D.C. and in state capitals. Call your people. Let them know what's going on. Let's spread the word and get some light on this. All right. I want to thank you very much, sir. Uh, your your time you've been very generous with this afternoon. I appreciate you coming on and telling your story. Uh, it's one of those things that sounds like it could only happen in a movie if you're not paying close enough attention and realize that this is a reality that a lot of people are facing, but not very many of them are in a position to stand up and try to fight back. So bless you for doing that. Uh, hopefully we can get back together at some point down the road and would love to do some follow-ups with you, uh, hopefully with some good news that comes along. Uh, Gordon, one more time, uh, please feel free to share those websites again. And if you're anywhere on social media and you want to share your handles, feel free to throw those out there as well. Sure. It's, uh, my name is Gordon Knight. The book is Deep Six Diaries. It's Deep Six, number six, deepsixdiaries.com. We can get all the information and links to Amazon there. In terms of social handles, uh, my friend, I have been banned out of there as well. Uh, we can thank the civil service for that also. So I don't have them. But, you know, being a smaller site means that I can actually respond to email. So if people do contact us on the Deep Six Diaries website, it may take a little bit, but I will respond to everything I get. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real honor chatting with you today. Oh, the honor is mine, sir. Uh, you keep up the, the fight and know that you do have friends and allies here that are in your corner, and uh, we'll definitely do what we can to help support you in this fight. Uh, thank you so much, sir, and uh, Godspeed to you. Thank you, sir. Take care. Yes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Gordon Knight. And, again, th this is the kind of story that you really just – you have a hard time wrapping your mind around because unless you're experiencing it. I mean, here we are. We still, even in this time of leftist fantasies, like in the fairy tales, like I was saying before we brought Gordon on, we still take so much for granted. I mean, I sit here and I talk to you on a very regular basis about all the insanity that's going on. We talk about how crazy this politician is and how nuts that politician is and how ridiculous they are and uh, how somebody thought it was a great idea for Kamala Harris to go give a, a pep speech to her alma mater's basketball team right after they've lost a, a game and, and – She's, you know, just all this craziness. But there are real-world ramifications that will affect us all. We already know that attempts to debank people have happened here in the States, and it has happened. Not just the attempts, but that it has happened. And things are so much easier in Canada because the laws are set up so much differently. They don't have a constitution like ours. They don't have a Bill of Rights. And just because we do, we hide behind that feeling of security. But as I pointed out to you, I don't know how many times now over the last decade plus, those have been under attack since they were first written down on paper before they were passed and adopted. 
And make no mistake, right now the left worldwide thinks they're winning because they have such a huge advantage in most elected positions. And as the pendulum is swinging back the other way, they're going to try even harder, harder than they ever have before, to finish us off in a fashion that we can't restore or rebuild. It's up to us to keep that from happening. You, me, Every one of you out there listening, everyone out there that you can convince to listen to reason. And that is our responsibility. That is my honest-to-goodness request for each and every one of you great listeners out there is to pick up that mantle. Pick up a phone. Make a phone call. Call your elected officials. Let them know Gordon's story. Go to your keyboard type an email send it to your elected officials do this with the understanding that if you're talking to a democrat they need to know that you as a constituent is not happy with the fact that canada got to decide that this book was not available when you hear this story it's beginning it's inception it's absolutely insane can you believe arguing in court and winning that well the law is privately owned by those who wrote it well in that case let it be private and i don't have to abide by it but you can't make that legal argument can you all right i've got to reset the hour before doug reaches through the computer and strangles the life out of me it's friday night and we're having a blast don't go anywhere we'll be right back This is Matt Fitzgibbons from PatriotMusic.com, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth. You're listening to K-Star and the Vera Networks. Tim Tapp, host of Tap into the Truth. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for staying with us as we are now diving headlong into hour number two of tonight's live broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Thank you for joining, no matter where you're listening from. I greatly appreciate it. 
And uh, I definitely want to continue to draw attention to Gordon Knight's story. Uh, if for some reason you missed my conversation with Gordon back in the first hour, uh, go find the podcast. And this is one that I will probably also do something over on Rumble and get that up just so you guys can hear that conversation. Uh, anyway, before we dive into anything else, I want to remind everybody that I'm still promoting forpatriots.com uh, just a little bit longer. We're trying to make sure that we can get a renewal. Uh, I want to get that uh, subscription thing. We did a one-month trial, and we got those 12 broadcasts out of the way, and we had some major movement. A, a lot of you guys answered the call. You went and bought some stuff, but we were still uh, at about 80% return on their investment for that. And generally speaking, uh, they like to surpass but at least get to that 100% return on investment before continuing a sponsorship. So it's my understanding, according to uh, the nice little lady Allison that I speak to, that we've got a really good chance at renewal if we can get across that uh, finish line and get that 100% uh, return on investment. So what I'm still asking you guys to do to, you know, just to help me out, keep the show going full power and, you know, occasionally get a, a sponsorship is a nice thing <laughs> head on over to the number four patriots.com that's four patriots.com and uh, look around see what you can find there right now uh, we're heading into spring so storm season's right around the corner crazy weather's happening year-round these days but we know as we transition uh, there's a lot of weather uh, and with that being the case you can't possibly be prepared enough so whether you're looking for emergency food supplies whether you're looking for heirloom seeds uh, specialty gardens whatever it is that you're trying to do uh, not the least of which is maybe some uh, backup power generators <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge uh, patriot power generator uh, <laughs> just go go take a look around and then see what you come across and uh, you're going to find some stuff that you probably need, maybe even some things you haven't even thought about. You do that, uh, at uh, time to check out, put in code TAP, that's T-A-P-P, and you'll get 10% off of your first-time order there. Uh, everything store-wide, including the Patriot Power Generator, which is part of the new generation of portable, safe, silent, and 100% fume-free generators. And the reason that fume-free thing is important is carbon monoxide is a major problem. And we talked about the story of Craig and his tragedy quite a bit over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, he thought he was doing the right thing during Hurricane Ida. He went out, he bought himself a gas-powered generator, he fired it up. During the night, carbon monoxide seeped out of the generator and into his home. Uh, he lost his family that night. Didn't have to happen. Doesn't have to happen. Go check out the Patriot Power Generator and uh, check out everything else they got over there. Just saying. Okay, in case you were wondering, uh, there were some big news items today. If you're a fan of Donald Trump, and I know a lot of the listeners of this show happen to be exactly that, we all love the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, and what's not to love. But some things that I really didn't think were ever going to happen got announced today. Uh, first and foremost, Facebook did finally get around to ending his 
two-year suspension, and so has YouTube. So the Trumpster's back on YouTube and on Facebook. What about that? <laughs> Doug's telling me that his wife uh, has one of those lovely little red hats about in his car. So anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but those two brothers that uh, helped perpetrate the Jushi Smole uh, fantasy of Chicago in the freezing night is MAGA country uh, fraudster. Uh, they've been out explaining their actual involvement, and now they've officially uh, offered an apology in a new interview. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, it's one of those great stories because, again, it plays back to the whole notion of the leftist fairy tales I was telling you about. Uh, this particular fairy tale is the one where there's so much hate in the country, so much racism, that they literally have to go out and create things. A lot of fake hate. Uh, I just I don't know any other way to put it. Meanwhile, uh, barely there, Beijing Biden is out there desperately calling for crackdowns on senior bank executives uh, because it's better than being truthful and honest in saying that it's the crappy monetary fiscal policies of this administration and those who actually run it that has way more to do with the current situation than anything else. And as it turns out, the two stories that I want to talk to you in the remaining time we have together are Biden direct or Biden adjacent. And let's start with the Biden adjacent story, uh, a story having to do with Hunter Biden. Now, we had talked a little while back about the fact that there was this strange little back and forth going on between one of Hunter's attorneys and uh, the courts because they wanted to do something about Mac Isaac. You know, that's the guy who ran the laptop repair store that Hunter's laptop, the laptop from hell uh, where it was left and he tried to return it several times, and then he tried to give it to the FBI, who wanted nothing to do with it, and then eventually he just went public because he's like, well, if they don't want to come get it, maybe the world needs to know what might be happening here. Well, they did this strange little thing where, like, well, he violated uh, uh, my client's privacy, uh, and we're not admitting to anything. We're not acknowledging that crimes were committed. We're not even saying that the laptop is actually Hunter's, but uh, Hunter's privacy was violated in this effort. I said then I didn't understand how you could possibly have it both ways. Maybe the law in Delaware is a little different, but at this point, Hunter Biden has filed a countersuit against the Delaware computer repairman, John Paul Mac Isaac, a.k.a. Mac Isaac, who claimed to have worked on Hunter's personal computer all the way back uh, those many, many decades and decades ago uh, in 2019. Now, granted, that's been more than a year, so the expected memory of the political elites has 
clearly been surpassed because you're not supposed to remember a promise made or a speech given more than six months after unless it's really, really popular. Anyway, the president's latchkey son is alleging that Mac Isaac illegally obtained and distributed his electronically co-producer. <laughs> I see that. that uh, his electronically stored data, thereby invading his privacy. So obviously what they've done now is they've taken that next step. They're actually moving and filing a lawsuit because they've kind of developed what they believe their case is going to be. Now, I'm going to push back a little bit, and I hope whatever attorney Mac Isaac gets will simply take into court the legal documentation that Hunter Biden signed when he turned over the laptop that states clearly that if you do not uh, return for your property and pay for repairs within a certain time frame, that then that property becomes legally the shop's. And once that occurs, once that that window has closed, once the deadline has been reached, it wasn't Hunter's laptop anymore. So his stored electronic data, that's a question that hasn't been legally answered. Now, I would tend to think, based on how the law currently stands, that anything on something that you own you have the legal right to do whatever you want to with it. Now, in the digital age, there probably should be some laws put in place uh, if you're buying used digital equipment or if you come into the possession of used digital equipment, uh, electronic equipment that has data storage capabilities, cell phones, laptops, desktop, whatever the case may be, even if it's just a extra hard drive, there may need to be some laws put in place to protect uh, the previous owners who maybe didn't realize that they left something very personally sensitive on there. Uh, somebody gets involved with uh, some special naughty time with a loved one, and maybe you don't want those videos distributed. Uh, whatever the case may be. I can see an argument for that needing to be made, but the problem with the argument is those laws haven't been passed. They simply don't exist. So I, I don't understand why they think this is a winning argument unless they're hoping to set precedent. But the problem with setting precedent when the law doesn't exist is that there are previous laws on the book that already exist that would cover the ownership of the laptop. The ownership clearly fell to Mac Isaac at that point in time. And again, how could he have possibly illegally obtained that data that was stored when he tried to turn it into the FBI? Anyway, uh, Hunter's attorneys insist that the legal action is in no way should not be taken as in any way, any form, any fashion. Do not believe that this is proof that the laptop is even real. Okay, it seems kind of silly that if the laptop's not real, how could you sue them for it? It seems to me in that case that the lawsuit would be 
depra- uh, deprivation suit. I mean, you're 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 defaming me. You're making false statements. You've made fraudulent images. Uh, that's a whole different type of lawsuit. That's not what they're doing here. So how again? I I still I don't get it. And maybe it's because I'm not a lawyer. Maybe it's because. I insist on the use of common sense and thought and reason in making a determination when we're trying to talk about something. Uh, Maybe that's part of it. But I don't see how you can have it both ways. How can you file the lawsuit? Oh, you you violated my client's privacy, but uh, we're not saying that this is even a real thing. And if it's not real, obviously you didn't violate the – no, wait. I I think – I have a headache now. <laughs> anyway, they they legitimately said, "Let me let me give you the quote here." This, <clears throat> sorry, I try to do voices when I do the quoting. This is not an admission by Mr. Biden that Mac Isaac or others, in fact, possess any particular laptop containing electric electronically stored data belonging to Mr. Biden. Now that's literally the first footnote. In a 42-page countersuit filed in Delaware states, rather, Mr. Biden simply acknowledges that at some point Mac Isaac obtained electronically stored data, some of which belonged to Mr. Biden. Okay, isn't that still exactly the same thing? It's not an admission that this possessed. Any particular – what? Are, are you suggesting that somehow he had illegally obtained stored electronic data from a different computer that was not the one that Hunter Biden had left there for repairs and then never came back for? Is that what you're asking the court to believe? Because uh, as we just discussed back in the first hour, yeah, the court, especially if you're in front of just the right judge – uh, might be inclined to believe that, but it doesn't really stand up to two seconds worth of uh, rational thought, does it? Gets us back to the discussion of professional ethics compared to personal ethics, and how can you even do this? Now, oddly enough, despite not admitting that Hunter's laptop existed, they do claim that if it did exist, that Mac Isaac broke the law by accessing the data instead of taking measures to properly secure it. I I don't buy that. Like I said, uh, we know for a fact, it's been acknowledged by the FBI, that he tried to turn this over before anything else happened. It's like, well, this belonged to him. There might be something uh, of national security on there. Uh, here you go. They wanted nothing to do with it. Mac Isaac has claimed that Hunter dropped it off at his dropped off this particular laptop and simply never came back for it. Mac Isaac has also claimed that Biden signed a contract stating that any equipment left after 90 days would become Mac Isaac's possession. He has that paperwork. Now Hunter's attorney denies all of that. 
And he argues that Delaware state law would overrule such an agreement, which I don't think to be the case. This is a fairly common agreement. This is something that happens frequently when you take it to a repair shop that deals with something uh, of this nature. In fact, it's the kind of thing that even happens if you take your car into certain repair shops, they'll have a similar thing. It's like you don't get it back till you pay for it. And if you haven't paid for it in 90 days, it's not yours anymore, depending on the nature of the repairs and what have you. Now, given the value of most used laptops, he's never going to get back what the actual repairs cost in most cases anyway. Now, I must admit at this point, again, not a lawyer, and I certainly didn't read up on Delaware state law, but I really doubt that Delaware state law would, in fact, overrule the agreement. But there's more. They also claim that the repair authorization form still wouldn't give Mac Isaac access to any stored personal data on the laptop that they won't admit exists. I, I say that because I think that tends to be important to the whole argument. It's like, if it doesn't exist, why are you wasting the court's time? But here's the other thing. The cat is already out of the bag, and now with folks looking into the bank accounts of Biden family members, this is almost a sad side story. Anyway, back to this before I get too much down this other path. Quoting again, at no time did Mr. Biden grant Mac Isaac any permission to access, review, copy, or disseminate for his own purposes any electronically stored data that ever was created or received or maintained by Mr. Biden, regardless of how Mac Isaac came into possession of such material. Now, again, the regardless of how Mac Isaac came into the possession of such material means that, once again, we're not acknowledging the existence of the laptop itself, but even if it were to be true, although we're not admitting that it's true, that it still would not be okay to get in there. And again, Mac Isaac didn't until well after the 90 days and until after he'd tried to turn this thing over to the FBI. I Dramatic pause for effect right there. Let that sink in. So um, so how did Mac Isaac get Hunter's personal data? I mean, if it didn't come from the laptop that was left there by Hunter Biden with his signature, if that's not where it came from, isn't that the first question that Hunter's attorneys should be answering? Now, his attorneys have no idea. And the only reason they have no idea is because they are required by professional ethics to defend their client. They do have an idea. It's just something they can't say. They can't legally lie. They can't meet their uh, legal uh, professional ethics in lying to the court and being an officer of the court, but they can protect their client uh, 
and just omit a great deal of factual information that they have. Now, they should not be permitted to omit factual information they have when they are trying to be punitive against a, another party. But this is an effort. Make no mistake about it. This is an effort to protect Hunter Biden. And more to the point, it's an effort to protect Joe Biden and Frank Biden and and all the other Bidens that are officially recognized as being part of the family. So they claim to have no idea, and they can't even say which personal data that they're talking about. Because obviously, if you can't acknowledge a thing, you can't say which parts are not, because then you're forced to deny. Now, the part that's killing me about all this, you guys probably still remember this, but just in case you need to be reminded, Hunter never denied that this was that this was his laptop when he was out there doing the media meet and greets when he was trying to sell his book before he started releasing his money laundering I mean his art uh, he never denied it he, he didn't come completely out and say yes absolutely that's mine but he never said it wasn't he never made an effort to deny and I would think that if you thought that there was anything like that making the rounds, the claims having been made, and it wasn't yours, you had nothing to do with it, that you would have been saying, oh, absolutely not mine. I mean, given that his last name is Biden, given that he's had serious drug issues in the past, given that he has been treated like the redheaded stepchild of the family uh, because Bo Biden was the hero. Bo Biden was the one that was going to follow in Joe's footsteps and become a really, really important person. Uh, Hunter was just kind of that guy in the background who we're going to have to run errands for the family for the rest of his life. Um, yeah. Part of me still thinks, and I will, it would take a great deal to convince me otherwise. Part of me still thinks that Hunter not only did this and that that laptop was real, but that he left it there on purpose. I don't, I don't think that he appreciated how he's been treated by his dad. And I think he wanted to be done being the family gopher. It may not even have been intentional. It may have simply been subconscious. But I really, really think that to be the case. So the fact that we continue to see this very strange legal argument uh, roll out, it, it becomes... It's really hard to kind of understand how you can walk this line. Now, again, according to the, uh, the counterclaim here, in or before April of 2019, the defendant, Mark Isaac, by whatever means, came into possession of certain electronically stored data, at least some of which belong to counterclaim plaintiff Biden that is written in this 42 page complaint 
Lots of conservative news outlets have verified that the laptop belongs to Hunter. It, it's There's no doubt about it. It is confirmed. Legacy mainstream media won't touch the story. They want to pretend like it's still not even a thing that happened. But news outlets that are at least middle of the road and then that lean to the right, it's been verified. There is no question. There is no doubt this was, in fact, Hunter Biden's laptop. It appears that New York, that the New York Post, the first to report this story, the one that got censored on Twitter, that got banned from Twitter, got closed out of their own account for nearly 36 hours because they ran with the story, that was prevented from having the story be shareable on Facebook. It appears at this point they've been fully vindicated. There's no doubt. After the 2020 election, once Joe Biden was firmly in office, he'd taken the oath, they'd done the the pomp and circumstance of inauguration. At at that point, when the story could no longer do uh, the kind of damage where they thought it might run the risk of changing thoughts and changing votes, Then the legacy media outlets finally began taking a look, but even then, they didn't want to discuss it. It is... (sighs) It is what it is. But this lawsuit, it's absurd on its face, and it's just one more example of how the system is set up to hide truth rather than to reveal it. We have to change that time to take the mid-hour break on the other side of this break i want to talk about another biden story but i've been told we've got a caller so uh we'll do a little something we don't often do and take a live caller here uh, at least for the first little bit of the bottom half of the hour uh doug you know what to do You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Recently, the annual Oscar Award Show drew its third lowest ratings ever. That's a good thing, but it was brought to my attention that actress Angela Bassett was fit to be tied after she did not receive a little golden Oscar. I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Ever since the days of actress Dorothy Dandridge, black female actresses, for the most part, have been treated better than black male actors with the exception of superstars like Denzel Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, and Will Smith, before his chronic simp tendencies drove him to Nutsville. Ms. Angela Bassett expected to win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, in which she and other female characters in the movie Black Panther Wakanda Forever basically acted out a fantasy where females indirectly controlled everything, including the king, who was basically a simp, 
who depends a bit too much on the dominating female characters. Bassett believed that she, not Jamie Lee Curtis, deserved that Oscar and acted like a spoiled brat when she was not awarded the little Oscar. Her entitled mindset is typical of black elites who feel that they are entitled due to an emotional it's all about me entitled mentality that does nothing but renders them less deserving of any recognition. I'm Ron Edwards. See ya on the next page from the Edwards Notebook. Being stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. In other words, put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key. The idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bi-monthly, but the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. Hello, my name is Tyler Boone, singer-songwriter and founder of the award-winning homegrown Boone's Bourbon label out of Charleston, South Carolina. In just four years, Boone's Bourbon has been awarded some incredible awards, such as the Platinum Los Angeles, Double Gold New York, Gold Las Vegas, Silver Denver, and also named Top Six in the World in Forbes. We're also being featured in Rolling Stone magazine, Billboard magazine, American Songwriter, and we're also now available in 24 states all across the country. So Boone's Bourbon is a high-proof, cash-strength bourbon at 117 proof. We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family-owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. This is Matt Fitzgibbons. This is Amy Hallam. This is AZ. Hello, we are back. Thank you so very much for staying with us through that very brief break. We are indeed sharing the night together. So, 
here we are. It is Friday. It is St. Patrick's Day. We've got a world of zaniness, wackiness, and insanity going on around us. And uh, in that uh, spirit, let's uh, shake things up a little bit. It's Friday night, and we'll take a live caller. Uh, Doug, um, make the connection and the introduction, if you don't mind. Hello. Hello, okay, sir. Doug? <laughs> Is Doug going to introduce me or what? Um, <laughs> okay. I think he's busy. It looks like he's uh, slid yeah. off into the phone. Uh, all right. Well, well that that's okay because Doug's a little out anyway. You know, he's out of out of out, out, out there. Listen, just want to let you know, you're one of the few people, one of the few people I've ever heard that I I, I agree with. That I'll bet you, old Hunter did what he did to get back at, at Daddy. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you look at poor old Hunter. He is always seen as a loser, okay? Unlike his big, unlike his other big brother, I don't know if he's, you know, Ozod Bubba, was that his name? Uh, the older brother that, that, that did everything right. And poor old Hunter, man, uh, he's always seen as the loser. And he might really have done this to get back at Daddy. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think there's a really good chance of that. It kind of reminds me of uh, Jacob and Esau. You know, I mean, uh, you know, really, you know, Esau was, was daddy's uh, favorite, you know. He, he, was, he was the great hunter. And then along comes uh, Jacob, a mama's boy, you know, and he stole, he stole the birthright uh, from, from his brother. Uh, and, and you can just see that, that, that family dynamic. Well, you know, within the context of Scripture, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, really di- di- dysfunctional people there. But, uh, yeah, this poor guy. But, you know, nothing will ever be done. Uh, we are at the same point that uh, uh, Pilate said to, 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 to Jesus, you know, what is truth? You know, uh, as long as, as there's a Democrat walking the earth, we will never know the truth. <laughs> My opinion. Yeah, I'm afraid you are probably right about that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm brand new listening to you. Uh, uh, Doug, Doug is a good friend of mine, and so I'm going to have to kind of talk to him Sunday and, and, and see if I can kind of figure out when you're on the air because I think I'm going to enjoy this. So I'm down here in good old Gulfport, Mississippi. And uh, right. God's blessings uh, to you, my friend. Well, thank you. I appreciate you listening and uh, hope that uh, I can keep you uh, entertained and uh, uh, maybe even occasionally uh, finding out something new that uh, you didn't already know. Thanks for calling. There you go, kid. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, Doug, uh, while all this was going on, I was just contacted uh, by A.J. Rice, uh, who runs the... uh, the firm that uh, handles most of the PR bookings that we did tonight. And it would appear that maybe I had the wrong number for Todd um, based on what I've got here. So we'll definitely be taking a look at that. And I don't know if I got something wrong here or if the individual booker did. But uh, at any rate, it certainly seems that Todd wasn't ducking us. He wasn't ignoring us. And uh, hopefully he will still like us enough to, uh, to come in and, uh, you know, maybe come back and revisit. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to send you that number right now. 
yeah, this is all kinds of fun. You know, I'm thinking, let's just, uh, let's just do the show and, uh, what am I doing here? All right, anyway, it's always great to do live stuff when you're trying to multitask and you're all discombobulated. So if you guys will just bear with me. Uh, you had a great interview back in the first hour, and now you're going to get some other stuff. And I just sent him that number, and uh, we'll see. That's the number that I had according to AJ. Now, AJ's not the guy who actually did the booking uh, in this case, but uh, we'll go from there. Now, uh, as I said, I had another uh, another Biden story to get into. And we will try to speed right along and get as much of this in as possible. Uh, no surprise at this point that uh, legacy media has zero interest in any stories that damage the Democratic brand. Never surprising at all. But it is always illuminating. Uh, illuminating is a good word. It's always enlightening. Now, the latest example, of course, can be found uh, in the press's utter disinterest in the bombshell memos naming and shaming Biden family members who allegedly took huge chunks of cash from the Chinese Communist Party. This uh, CCP-linked energy company. Now, it's not surprising at all. According to the report that was released by Representative James Comer, who happens to be the current chairman of the House Oversight Committee, that came out this week. I've already alluded to that a couple of times tonight. Comer and others have alleged, you know, uh, journalistic integrity alleged, that the energy company in question funneled more than a million dollars in payments to Biden family members, including... Hunter, James, Hallie, uh, the daughter-in-law, the one who was married to Bo and then had an affair with Hunter after the brother had passed. And then uh, another uh, unnamed or unknown member of the Biden family. And, and all of this took place between 2015 to 2017. Now, the alleged evidence was found thanks to the recent subpoena of John Robinson Walker, a Biden family associate, and his company, Robinson Walker, LLC. Now, the House Republicans alleged that Walker used his business to transfer money from the Chinese state energy HK Limited, a firm affiliated with CF, CEFC China Energy. All right, C-E-F-C, China Energy. Now, for what purposes could this money have gone from the Chinese state energy company to the Biden family members? Well, you know, that is still unclear. But Comer has reminded us, and rightfully so, that this is only one transaction pointing to Possible corruption. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, okay. Uh, you're being polite. 
which I suppose it's nice for Comer to do. But I'll remind you, the Senate is the body that's supposed to be cordial and uh, refer to uh, etiquette. And the House is supposed to be ruckus, the people's House. It's the people's part of the legislature. You're supposed to call a spade a spade. You're supposed to be ready to duel at the drop of a hat, although uh, figuratively now instead of literally like they used to. But you get what I'm saying. Now, the media doesn't want to talk about this at all. A story like that, especially in light of Hunter's laptop, well, that's explosive. And it has national consequences. We're talking impeachment territory. A simple acknowledgement here means that even Democrats should, not necessarily would, but should vote for impeachment, should be moving forward to trying and making the impeachment happen. And yet, as of the Thursday evening airings, and I didn't catch very much tonight, the Friday evening errands, because of the time involved in starting the show. But I don't think it changed. But uh, as of Thursday evening, CBS, ABC, NBC, they simply couldn't find any time at all. And they're very, very busy, uh, jam-packed. you got to give you the, the news and information that matters. They couldn't find any time in amongst all of that in their evening TV newscast to mention this story. Of course, this is according to Newsbusters, a source that I trust, unlike CBS, ABC, CB, uh, NBC, CNN, MSNBC. Yeah, there's a very distinct difference. Newsbusters, I'm willing to take it face value, but we'll check. Now, this bias by omission, as described by the media watchdog, is the norm for these kinds of stories. It's the norm at these outlets for anything that might hurt the brand. Not their brand, but the Democratic Party brand. They're not even that concerned about Joe Biden personally. They're concerned about how this reflects on the party. They're concerned because once public knowledge is elevated about the level of corruption, then it's only a matter of time before you discover how Ukraine currently is being used as a laundromat for dirty cash and the ongoing set of circumstances. Biden clearly wanted conflict between Russia and Ukraine. It was obvious. He was letting you know what was going to happen before it happened, right? There's still an awful lot of evidence that points to us being responsible by us, I mean the United States government, being responsible for the bombing of the Nord pipeline. The Nord 2? You guys remember that little thing? I mean, that was back in the news again here recently. Because, you know, both Russia and China have now accused the U.S. of doing that directly. There's Nothing but denials from the part of the Biden administration, but no evidence to the contrary. Of course, you can't prove a, a unprovable, but what if there is evidence? What if we did do it? I mean, I keep coming back around to the fact that 
no matter what we are doing, we simply refuse to send enough aid for Ukraine to win decisively, but we make sure they get just enough that they can keep fighting Russia. Can't let you win, can't let you have an upper hand, but we don't want you to lose either. So here's just enough. What does that do? It prolongs it. Back in the top of the first hour, I talked about how the International Criminal Court issuing an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin seems like maybe that's designed to to make Vladimir think twice about coming to the table and negotiating. Why would I negotiate any type of end to this conflict? Why would I negotiate a ceasefire if you are already deciding that I'm an international war criminal? Oh, well, now I just need to win. They will not report on this kind of a story for whatever reason. It is part of the long-standing unspoken agreement between legacy media and the government. Not, not the government in total, but the deep state government, the left-leaning part. Whether intentionally or as a byproduct of their own political inclinations, it has become a cornerstone of American politics that traditional media simply won't report, or they do the minimum coverage possible. If it causes harm to the Democratic agenda, if it causes harm to the Democratic brand, then we don't talk about it. I mean, it's literally like watching Encanto. And anything that reflects badly here is Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. Now, most Americans seem to believe that that is pretty much the truth. And that's why trust in the media, the legacy media in particular, is at all-time record lows. Maybe it would be better if these outlets simply admitted that their leftist bias exists. I mean, if they at least came out and said, okay, well, here's the deal. We've been pretending for a long time to be unbiased guardians of truth, but the jig is up. You've figured this out. So now we're just going to come forward and say, eh, by the way, we are leftist, and we stopped being unbiased journalists a long time ago. We started becoming propagandist hacks some time ago because we picked a side. We're on that side. We want you to join us. Maybe that would at least help their credibility some because then they're no longer pretending to be just purveyors of truth. Heard uh, Greg Gutfeld the other day make a comment in regards to uh, – we were talking about the southern border at the time. I was like – why not just admit it's not uh, an important issue for you? Why not just admit you want the border to be open? Why not just say it? Now, for the political pushback that occurs, you'll pay a price, yes. But would the price be as heavy as more and more people waking up to the fact that you're just lying to them all the time? Even a Democratic voter, a traditional rank-and-file American, everyday person – punching in and punching out, going to work, trying to take care of their family and just keeps voting Democrat because they want to believe that fairy tale that they're for the little guy. They also have a limit for 
how much crime you can bring to their communities through your bad policies, how much you can take out of their wallets because of your bad policy. And they do have a limit for how much you can sit there and lie to them to their face. And they know that either you are a sociopath who doesn't care if the other person knows you're lying or you think they're just that dumb. There does come a point where they reach their fill. But if you just come out and say, eh, well, we don't really care. It's not a part. We don't think it's a problem. We think it's a good thing. Well, then at the very least, nobody's going to ask you the question anymore. So you don't have to keep lying about it. And if you don't have to keep lying about it, then at least that part of the meter stops building up. Why not come out and be honest instead of having to stick to your story of false fairy tales and and these ridiculous notions that somehow they're really acting in the best interest of the American people? I, I don't know when the last time somebody with a D at the end of their name that had gotten onto the national scene can legitimately say – that they stood up and acted for the best interest of the country as a whole, or even just the best interest of the constituents in their home district. I mean, you might be able to make an argument about a certain senator from West Virginia, but even then, if you fold like a, uh, a cheap suit uh, shortly into this battle... And then pretend like you won some great victory, and then you have the rug pulled out from underneath you a few short months afterwards. Then did you? Can you claim you took a stand? Because you didn't. You don't get to brag about the stand you took if you immediately take a knee thereafter. You don't get to talk about winning some great victory if you are finding yourself in that same battle for a second time and you wave the white flag. You were not a hero. You did not save the day. You just set yourself up to try to, to try and keep some level of credibility that goes away when people know the truth. The truth here is that the Treasury Department, for three months, dragged their feet in an effort to uh, get the subpoenaed information turned over to the House Oversight Committee. This was subpoenaed. This was requested. This was asked for three months ago. These banking records showing these transactions. And after three months, finally, there was an acknowledgement of compliance. And some of the documents have started making their way over. And I told you a couple of days ago that the cynical tinfoil hat wearing version of Tim first thought was they've spent that time trying to sort through the least damaging reports the least damaging suspicious activity reports to turn over and in that effort I'm left wondering well what else is there because I don't believe anymore that they're going to comply fully I don't believe that the deep state is going to willingly comply with the Constitution and comply with the powers and authorities granted to the different uh, houses 
of Congress, the different branches of the government. I don't believe that anymore. I believe they're orchestrating a cover-up of the most damaging information because they know that more than just the Bidens would be hung out to dry if you know the whole truth. But I think we're at that point where the American people need to start demanding it. And I don't care which party you normally vote for. I don't care which party you consider yourself to be a part of. I have said a multitude of times I see myself as a conservative, not as a Republican. Because there are plenty of folks that have managed to stick an R at the end of their name that aren't any better. They're globalist or they're elitist or they're uh, blue blood versions of the party where the common man has no place. Conservatives. That's a, a philosophy. It's a mindset. It means that you believe in holding firm to the Constitution and to try to maintain the republic as she was founded, as she's meant to function. And granted, she hasn't been allowed to work that way for a long time because of crony capitalism and because of manipulation, because of overreach by government branches that either refuse to do their jobs and – want another branch to do it so that they don't have to be held accountable when it comes time for re-elections or because they want to just set back and point fingers at everybody else so you'll keep voting for them. But they still want to further their own power. They want to add more stuff to their bank accounts and to their prestige and honor. They're not honorable. They don't represent the American people. I could probably count on one hand everyone currently serving in an elected office that legitimately tries to do the work of the American people. And I doubt if I went down my list that all of them that I would name are actually doing that. It's just a few of them we haven't found out otherwise yet. That's where we're at. That's why we need turn limits. That's why we need to regularly vote new people in and other people out. And let's not give anybody an opportunity to get so indebted to special interests that they then have any motivation other than the work of the people. Where this Biden thing ends... Well, I think we know where it should end, where it will end. We'll take that ride together. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Sorry about the uh, issues back in the first hour, but we did have that great conversation with Gordon Knight. If you missed it, I hope you'll go back and check it. In the meanwhile, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth thanks once again to gordon knight for joining us and thanks for the phone call uh fine fine caller there uh appreciate that greatly and uh, you guys have a great weekend i am out
is using both hands. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.